Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. We are in the middle of this series that... um, uh, just wanting to look at what we spend the bulk of our week doing, which is usually work, or uh, this also includes mamas at home, or if you work at home. Um, but, it's, uh, but I believe that God wants to really speak and begin to frame out and allow that aspect of your life to flourish uh, in your relationship with God. And, you know, many times life deals us unexpected seasons, just like we saw. Unexpected seasons, and... Um, and some are expected and some are unexpected. And um, Ecclesiastes 3.1 says this, There is a time for everything, a season for every activity under heaven. And I believe it's so helpful to see life through seasons. And uh, as the older you get, the more you begin seeing these de- demarcations in our lives that there were, there were specific seasons, and um, a lot of times we get so wrapped up in the, the uh, what's next that we fail to realize maybe the season that we're currently in and us excavating with God uh, all the riches in whatever season you're in. The Lord created different seasons in our lives to shape us, to help us heal, and to transform us into who He intended us to be. And he uses these seasons to show us that he is good and he can make everything beautiful in his own time. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God makes everything beautiful in his own time. And so seasons, both good and bad, are ways for God to capture our hearts and our faith. So how does God, this is kind of a two-part series. God spoke kind of two different things. I wrestled with how to tie these together, so I'm just going to say it's a two-part message. Um, for, for the first part is, what if you are in a season of transition vocationally? What if you are, or, or you feel one is coming up? How does a follower of Jesus navigate those seasons? Because from my experience, it's those seasons of transition that can be the most intimidating they can be the most difficult to hear God's voice clearly. And so I just wanted to provide a little framework that if you're in that season, if you're in a season of transition where you might be unemployed or you might be sensing, okay, God, I feel like my time where I'm at is coming to an end and I feel that that's from you, not my exhaustion or not by, uh, I really hate my boss and I wish I had something different, but you really feel like God is, is bringing that season to a close. How do we navigate that? How do we walk uh, strong in the Lord? How do we, uh, if we're a follower of Jesus, how do we navigate this? So, like the Smiths, some of us may be in an occupational transition. uh, And even if you're not, most of you will likely be at some point. Um, There's this Old Testament concept uh, on waiting on the Lord. There's this phrase that is littered throughout the Old Testament about waiting upon the Lord. And uh, that was one thing I, I, for my, my dad. He, he, he grew up, he, 
He had a church experience, but he had read the Bible from cover to cover when he was 20. He had a pastoral friend in his life at the time. But once he kind of read it, he's like, I got it. I'm good. And, um, and the one thing that really bothered him was actually this phrase, waiting on the Lord. He didn't understand it. He said, well, that's just passive. That's lazy. Waiting on the Lord. What do you do? Just kind of sit around and do nothing and wait until the lightning strikes. And, and really, this, this phrase, waiting on the Lord, there's actually, a, there's actually a picture, an illustration that comes along with that phrase. And waiting on the Lord, the roots to that word wait, it's, it can be translated to be twisted up into the Lord. So it's that in seasons of transition, God wants us to wait on Him in the sense that God wants us to be twisted up or tangled up with Him in that season very closely. Proverbs 3 Five and six is trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. God wants to show you. God wants to help navigate you. Even the title of the Holy Spirit is counselor, advocate. God wants to walk hand in hand, side by side, not only in you, but guiding you and leading you in your life, in every area, especially in our vocation. So if you're in a season of transition, or you feel one's close at hand, listen. Pretty simple. Listen. There's an Old Testament story of a man named Elijah, and he was a wild man kind of prophet, and when he first came on the scene, he there were uh, some, some ungodly leaders over Israel, and their name was um, uh, Jezebel and Ahab. And uh, they were corrupt leaders. They were demonized leaders. They were, they were tearing down the, the nation and uh, exalting other gods in the land. And Elisha comes and confronts the prophets of Baal, which was the god that um, uh, these people served. And a big, big, awesome story in the Old Testament. God comes down in power, confirms Elijah's word, and uh, shames the prophets of Baal. And then uh, he gets chased after by <laughs> Jezebel and Ahab, and he runs out into the wilderness. And he's thinking he's the only guy left, only man of God left. And he's sitting in a cave, and he's whining and complaining God, I'm the only person left. And he's asking God for direction. He's in a season of wilderness. He is in transition. And so this, 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 as the story goes on, a lightning strikes. He thought it was in, God was speaking through the lightning. It wasn't, or through an earthquake. And, and the, the story kind of boils down in that God speaks in the still, quiet voice to Elijah. And he begins to speak into his heart to say, no, 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 you're not the only one left. <laughs> i got many others. You're not alone. And I'm standing beside you. I'm guiding you and leading you. And in that season, God trains Elijah with character, with understanding and knowledge of God. And, and when Elijah comes out of that wilderness, he begins to have a miraculous ministry of which he had never experienced before. So, if you're in that season of transition, listen. Listen. Listen for that still, quiet voice. 
that we cultivate, we cultivate this sensitivity to hearing God by reading His Word and by pausing and slowing down life long enough to where we could actually hear. Uh, high school or college friend of mine, he was a guy that constantly had something going on. It was either the radio or the TV constantly. Even while he was studying, uh, he would listen to uh, death metal. And I'm like, dude, how in the world? And there was always just noise. He was always just... And there was a moment where he wanted to pursue God, but he couldn't connect because he couldn't slow his life down enough and to, to um, peel away the voices and the cacophony of just distraction for him to really connect. And so in, if you're in a season of transition, slow down and listen. Second is seek godly counsel. If you're in this season, there's many times, especially those big transitions, um, I have even, as I've slowed down, even as I've listened, a lot of times I'll maybe hear God and then I'll kind of like, well, what about this, the Lord? And I kind of get maybe a little confused. And at times there's been wise counsel around me that has tremendously helped. Proverbs 12:15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 11:14 says, Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there's safety. Or how about Proverbs 15:22? Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Now it's not by having. Uh, I, I also know people that kind of take the pendulum uh, at getting no advice or getting advice from everybody. You ever know somebody like that, where where they're like, "Hey, I need some help. You know, what should I do?" And then you feel like you give them a pretty solid answer. And then you find out that they've been asking like 20 other people the same thing, hearing a totally lots of other uh, answers. But it's good to have in our lives, healthy lives, have three or four people that you can look to for counsel, wise counsel. If you don't have those in your life, I encourage you to get them. Your future uh, will be changed if you do. Because it, it, it grounds us, it anchors us, that it's not just us. And again, a way of the fool is right in his own eyes. I don't want to live a life of a fool thinking that I'm just going to make my own decisions for my own life, and I think that's going to work out. If you've done that, how has it worked out? How's that working out for you? Love, that's, that's like the ultimate pastoral line. How's that working out for you? Um, but get godly counsel. So listen, godly counsel. And then it really comes down, after you've done that, to make a bold faith decision. That's really the key. Sometimes we want other people to make the decision for us, or we want God to kind of like move our lips to say, yeah, this is what God wants. But sometimes you can get counsel, you can seek the Lord for an extended season, but really it comes down to also making a faith decision to say, God, I'm making this decision and I'm placing it in your hands. I'm doing this in faith. God, take it and do something great with this in this next season. So if you're in that process of transition, I just wanted to provide a little bit of a framework. And it's interesting as I've been listening to David and Margie's story, even how God transitioned them. Every step of the way, they paused, listened, asked, 
and then made a faith decision. And it's just a, it's a beautiful, beautiful scene. But most of us, this is part two, transition, <laughs> but most of us are in a planted season. Most of us are in a, in a place uh, at work or what we spend the bulk of our uh, week doing. Many of us are in a planted season. So how do we glorify God, honor God, and, and allow God to work through us in a way that He wants to in our areas of work or vocation in a planted season? How do we thrive as believers and glorify God? Last week we looked at what Jeremiah, God's prophet, said to the Israelites who were taken into captivity into Babylon. And this letter radically uh, changes the Jewish people's perception of how they should live in this alien land. So Babylon at the time was like the Rome, the precursor to Rome, uh, before lots, uh, we won't go through history. But anyway, so Babylon was in the 6th century the city on the planet. And uh, they were conquerors, and they invaded Israel, and they killed massive amounts of people, brought back many of their royalty, uh, and trained them in their own schools, and indoctrinated them. But here's this word from Jeremiah. A part of his letter reads, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses. And settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters in marriage, so they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you will prosper. I love this picture that God gives the Israelites. And in that audience, um, I would suspect, uh, it doesn't say it in the text, but I would su suspect that there was a young man named Daniel who heard that word from Jeremiah and said, okay, if my city prospers, we will prosper. Therefore, I will labor for Babylon, for Babylon to thrive, even though they worship a whole different God. And it's my job to bring in and seed kingdom values, God's values into this culture through the place where God puts me in. And many times we don't choose our position, obviously. We work and we are faithful, and David was proven absolutely faithful. He wanted Babylon life to be shaped by the values of the one true God. But at the same time, he worked on the flourishing of Babylon. You'd think that that would be a conflict of interest. But really, by Jeremiah's word, that's what the Lord said to do. So, he gives dream interpretations. He counseled four kings. He stuck true to worshiping God when there were moments in his story where he was asked to violate his own convictions. He stuck to them. And the honor that he had and heart that he had for the king gave him the honor that he needed to be an influence in Babylon. And last week we talked about how a lot of times that there's usually two examples, two models of what it means to be a Christian in the workforce. And usually it's put your head down and just serve or be the Jesus guy. And last week we kind of settled on maybe this third way, this new way that God wants us to operate which is investing our heart life into the people that we're around. 
Because again, we're in a season, right? If you're in a planting season, are you still working with the same team and same people that you did five years ago? Most likely not. Most likely, as, as we grow and meander through life, the same people that you're around today will not be the same people that you get the privilege of being around in five years. And so it's really seeing that this is the season that I'm in. How, God, how do I thrive well in this season? And how do I practically love the people around me? And so I just wanted to kind of flesh that out a little bit more for the rest of today. It's a shorter little message. But how do we actually, what does that look like? What does love look like in the workforce, in the workplace, or even at home? What does that look like? Number one, love takes responsibility for yourself and others. Love takes responsibility for yourselves and others. Because I love my coworkers, because I love my boss, I am not going to shirk responsibility for the things that I'm responsible for. Love takes responsibility because I love my workplace. I'm not going to show up late and then just give a ton of excuses as to why I'm late. Show up on time. Or if you are late, say, that's never going to happen again. And resolve to never let it happen again. Take responsibility. Don't give excuses. If you underperform, if you're, if you're underperforming, uh, ask Say, I want to take greater responsibility for my job, and so therefore, if I don't know what I'm doing or if I'm underperforming, I'm going to ask for help. I need to take responsibility for myself because when I fail, when you fail, when we fail to take responsibility for ourselves, it gets a burden placed on other people that we work with. And I'm sure you've had coworkers that have done that very thing give excuses, grumble and complain, which is just a passive form of not taking responsibility. And so, uh, how does that feel being around a coworker like that? Take responsibility for yourself and for others. And it's really asking, God, how can I take a greater level of responsibility for what I do during the bulk of my week, God, is there any way that I'm shirking my responsibility, that I'm not holding to what I said I was going to do? Is there anything that I can do this week even that I can take greater responsibility for myself at work? Or a secondary question is, if I've handled that and I feel like we're pretty tip-top there, then open your eyes to say, God, how can I take responsibility for others? Not covering for them, but covering them. There's a difference. How do I invest my heart life into those around me? Wow, you know, sometimes I've got free time. Sometimes the tasks that I've been assigned, I've actually knocked out. Or the, uh, and so it's like, okay, I've got a little free time. I'm going to look around. Hey, do you need any help with that project? Hey, man, do you, want, do you need anybody to stay after? Man, I'd love to. It's about showing love by taking responsibility, not just for yourself, which is 101. But it's moving out beyond that to say, God, how can I take responsibility for other people? To demonstrate and show them the love of God. 
So love takes responsibility for yourself and others. And love also is shown in our own faithfulness. Did you know that it takes faith to be faithful? A lot of times we don't think that. A lot of times we think just faithfulness is like, all right, monotony, let's go. You know, and I'll just kind of grin and bear it and just kind of wade my way through it and hopefully God will do something with it. Sometimes that's our attitude. But it's like, God, I need to be faithful. I need to bring all of who I am, all that you've gifted me with, all the talents and whatever passions that you've given me that I'm going to apply that to today. God, I'm going to be faithful today. I may have been faithless in the past, but today, from today on, it's going to be different. I'm going to bring my faith and be faithful with what God has given me to do. Psalm 37, 3. This is a, you should memorize this. This should be on, this should be, yeah, you should know this one. (laughs) Praise the Lord. A handful of, uh, sorry, a little little bird walk here, but um, a handful of uh, the guys are at a little men's retreat this weekend, and uh, you don't get much sleep, so praise the Lord. Uh, But trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. So much, there's a vibe in our culture that pushes people towards uh, God, give me the words. There is an element in our society, and especially you find this with the younger generation. But I think, uh, you can correct me on the stat, but it's a high number of kids that are in middle school that when asked, what do you want to be when you grow up, about 30% of them says a YouTube influencer. 30%. It's like this push that you've got to get yourself out there. Even though you don't, may not have wisdom, you may not really have good content, you're just creating videos to add to the noise of life. But as a follower of Jesus, is that your call? Or is there maybe something a little bit more, less sexy, but more impactful? Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. God desires us to have faith to see and know that as you grow in God and keep applying your faith and faithfulness to work, you ever increasingly glorify God through your work. Many times when we suffer from a lack of faithfulness, it's we've been disconnected from something, and I had written this last night, but I believe that God really wants us to hear this this morning because it was said in worship, it was said during announcements, And it's said again for the third time. Usually when God repeats something three times, he wants us to pay attention. Many times when we suffer from a lack of faithfulness, we've been disconnected from being grateful. When we lack a desire to be faithful in the season that God has placed us in, it's because we lack gratitude of saying, God, you have provided this for me. You have provided this season for me. And God, I'm so grateful for your provision. Even if you're unemployed in transition, God, I'm so grateful for your provision. Gratitude robs people from joy. And we have this 
pursuit in our culture for happiness, and happiness is based upon happenings, circumstantially. But a joy that God has made you to thrive in and live in comes from the soil of gratitude. So if you've been struggling with faithfulness at work, the remedy, the only prescription, is not cowbell, but gratitude. <laughs> Amen. You've got to stay up, you know? You've got to, coffee, that's the reason why we have coffee. So you pick those things up. And then lastly, just a short little list. This is just to kind of get your mind going. How do I apply love where I spend the bulk of my week? How do I love better? Take responsibility, be faithful, but love propels us to be industrious. And this is a concept that I don't think many believers have actually heard. Love propels us to be industrious. Second Chronicles 1, this is, uh, to set this up a little bit, this is Solomon speaking. And his father David taught him many pieces of wisdom, many of which that Solomon wrote in Proverbs. This was a man of great wisdom. And he asked the Lord, and God, God gave him a choice. He says, I'm going to give you anything. Just ask. And he thought and thought and thought. And he replied with this. Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people. For who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? He saw the task in front of him, which was to now his, his father David was up to that point. He was the second king, but he was the greatest king that Israel ever had up to that point and ever arguably had. And this is his son. And he says, God, I don't want anything other than your wisdom to know how to navigate what you've asked me to do. God told Solomon and that I'm going to give you wisdom, and because you've asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you everything else. And Solomon was known as the wisest man who had ever lived. God truly blessed him. People would travel from all over the world to come get counsel from Solomon. Because he asked God, God, give me wisdom. There's a neat book called Practice, the, the Practice. Brother Lawrence wrote this book called uh, Practicing in the Presence of the Lord. Or, uh, and he, he was a cook in a monastery in England, I believe, or upper France. And um, he was a cook, and he cultivated God's presence, and he would get wisdom for how to maximize his day how to cook better, how to uh, put better ingredients in the foods that he was making. Just a cook. But because this man had been so faithful with what he had been given, he accumulated great wisdom through that. And at the time, the Pope himself traveled twice. And you didn't have planes, no trains, no automobiles. No Steve Martin or, Dana or uh, Jimmy John Candy to kind of guide you through, but 
they would, it would take weeks to go and get counsel from this cook in a monastery. Your position has very little to do with the amount of wisdom that God wants to pour out on you. And so it's removing the it's just for a paycheck mentality and allowing the wisdom and creativity of the Almighty God to flow through you. In 1899, in the 1899 edition of Punch Magazine, this is 1899, it was donated to Harvard University by the Pulitzer family, and it offered a look at the coming century. In colloquy, a genius asked, isn't there a clerk who can examine patents? So patents about inventions and things. And this young boy replied, quite unnecessary, sir. Everything that can be invented has been invented. In 1899. Everything that has been invented has already been invented. We look back from 120 years from that and we say, that's a foolish statement, but how much do we sit in our present life thinking, there's not much there. There's not much there that I could innovate or bring in or help change or help. We think it's been done before. Or what could I do? What could I do? I'm just the, I'm just the, I'm on the first level. I haven't even gotten tenure yet. I can't really do much. How can we apply God's wisdom? I was just thinking about this. I was like, I just had this little scene. I was just sitting there for about five minutes just thinking about this. I'm like, man, if I was at, like, let's say I was just an average employee at a coffee shop. Man, what would I do if I was just an average employee with a coffee shop? One, I'd change the music. I'd make sure that there was a vibe going on, all right? got to take responsibility for my place of employment. And if I have any say in the music, I'm going to make sure there's good vibes going on. How about customer service? Man, I'm going to go an extra mile. I'm not going to just give a person a smile. I'm going to walk around like, hey, do you need any ice water? I always, think, I always get dehydrated when I'm drinking coffee. Hey, I want to look out for all my, uh, all my customers. I'm going to go around and I'm going to create an environment that is going to be unlike any other environment that people can walk into. God wants you to begin to apply the, God's wisdom into your place of work. God brings transformation by bringing new ideas into old ones and revitalizing and rejuvenating the culture in which you work. There's this mentality that I think that believers, unfortunately, have had. And um, it's uh, biblically, kind of to use biblical language, it's, having an attitude of just being a hired hand versus an owner. There's a difference in between just a hired hand. Hey, you just hired me for the day, or hey, you just hired me, but I'm just here for the paycheck. I'm just here to get paid by you so I can go back home and do what I really need to do. And this idea, it's, it's founded nowhere in Scripture. But a lot of times believers base their life on this kind of mentality of I'm just kind of let's just a hired hand passing through. But I would challenge that mentality and say, I believe God wants you to have, an, have a disposition or a mentality of an owner. I'm walking in. I might be the first hire, uh, might be the re- most recent hire, but I want to walk in and say, if I was the owner, what would I be doing? How would I be brainstorming of how do we cut costs? 
What's our marketing approach? I mean, I'd start thinking about, okay, what does an owner, if I'm the owner of this business, what does that he or she actually have to bear? And I want to come in, and I want to begin taking that burden from them as an owner to say, man, I'm all in. I'm not just a hired person. I'm a part of the team. And that attitude of being a team player in the workforce, in my opinion, we are in a drought and with that kind of attitude in the workforce. How do we be a team player? God wants you to be a team player, not just being the religious guy, like I said, the Jesus guy off in the corner, not getting invited because nobody wants to hang out with a guy like that. But lost people loved hanging around Jesus. Why? Because it was as if he owned the place. Think like an owner. Think like an owner. God's love propels us to be industrious. And wisdom and creativity flow when we have a mentality of an owner and not just a hired hand or not just a pass. I'm just passing through. Because the habits you establish, now you may be in a job that you know you're passing through. You may be in a job that you know, hey, uh, you know, I got this thing coming up. I, this is going to be a temporary job. The habits you form now will be the habits that you have in the future. So what habits are you building right now being a team player and having a mentality of an owner where God's placed you? So this is a faith challenge for you. So I, I got a little faith challenge, but this is kind of just to begin this conversation of what does love look like in the workforce. This is just kind of three little things to kind of get you going. But if you really want to increase in wisdom, I would encourage you to marinate in the Proverbs and the wisdom books of the Scriptures. God wants to make you wise. How does God make you wise? It's by marinating on His Word. And when you marinate on it, it's not just like, okay, I heard the words. It's what does that mean? What does that look like? Now it's interesting, Proverbs has 31 chapters. My faith challenge is that if you wanted to increase in wisdom, if you're like, man, that's me, I want to grow in wisdom, then read a, pro- read a chapter of Proverbs every day. And God will begin to pour out more and more wisdom into your life, not just for your work life, but for almost every area of your life. There's so much godly wisdom in His Word that I encourage you to marinate in His wisdom and allow God to begin to paint pictures for you of what it looks like for you your personality, your passions, your role, where God's placed you, what does that look like for me to bring heaven to earth through the love of the people that I get the privilege of being around all the time? Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you, God, that you, your word allows us to see a different picture. God, I pray that, Lord, even this week and as this series has been going on, God, I pray that you would begin to pour out more and more uh, visions of what it looks like for us to thrive in our places of work. God, I pray that we would have hearts that would engage, that we wouldn't just be passive on the side, just always afraid of w- that, that we may say something wrong. Or, but God, if our hearts are engaged in love, Father, love covers a multitude of sins, your word says. So, Father, I pray that we would learn how to love well in our place of work. 
God, that we would be faithful, that we would take responsibility for ourselves, and that, God, we would get your wisdom and creativity to apply to be the best teammate, our company, the company that I work for, whatever it is that they've ever seen. So, Father, I pray that, Lord, if there's any passivity in us, God, that we would repent of that right now in Jesus' name. God, if we've been passive in this area of work, if we have had that just, I'm just getting a paycheck mentality, Father, we repent of that right now. God, we give it to you. God, we recognize that that's not from you. That's not from you. That's from our own flesh because we want to protect ourselves from being hurt. Or God, we don't have enough emotional capital to give. So Father, I pray that, Lord, you would give us, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, and allow us to be workers and laborers out in the world glorifying you and being people of wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online citylifekc.org and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.